Welcome back to the Incompetent Critic presented by I'm No Genius. As always, I'm Eli, and today we are going to be breaking down the entirety of The Walking Dead. Now, The Walking Dead is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. The concept alone was enough to hook me into the series, but I continued watching because I fell in love with the characters and the world that I was seeing on screen. That being said, not a lot of my friends share my love for the series, and I'm pretty much the only one who has watched it from beginning to end, so you are stuck with just me today. Throughout its earlier seasons, I had always heard about how popular The Walking Dead was, but I had never actually sat down and watched it. I began watching the series on Netflix when season 9 came out, and I was immediately drawn into the world filled with zombies. Which reminds me, let's just get this out of the way right now, the word zombie is never said throughout the entire run of the show. It's almost like the word doesn't exist in the universe. It's weird. But despite hearing of its past popularity, by the time that I really started getting into the series, the viewership had declined and the fan base heavily criticized the quality of the later seasons. Once we cover them, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Still, the series will go down in history as one of the most popular TV shows ever, averaging over 13 million viewers per episode during the peak of its run. The series is an absolute roller coaster in terms of emotion and in terms of quality. Some of the seasons are amazing, and some of the seasons are painfully average, and some of the seasons are pretty bad. The performances in the show are pretty good for the most part, but there are some times that the acting makes the characters seem forgettable. I mean, there are like 45 main characters throughout the series, and it's hard to keep track of them sometimes. In retrospect, the series severely lacks an overall vision. This is most likely due to the fact that the show had four showrunners throughout its time on the air. Frank Darabont, director of The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption, was initially tapped as showrunner, but he was fired after the first episode of season two for creative differences. There was also a lot of drama behind the scenes that Darabont wanted a larger budget for the show, and AMC said no and just gave him the sack instead. Glenn Mazzara stepped in as showrunner for seasons two and three, but he ended up leaving the show because he claimed that he had a lack of creative control. This is going to be a common theme throughout the show, so just buckle up. Scott Gimple took over in season four and ended up having the longest tenure on the show, staying until season eight. But after season eight, Gimple was let go and fans wanted creative change. Once we talk about season seven and eight, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Angela Kang replaced Gimple at the beginning of season nine and served as showrunner until the show's conclusion in season 11. With all these different creative voices influencing the vision of the show every couple of seasons, the show ended up being a jumbled mess of plot lines and character motivations. When the show finally concluded in November of 2022, the overall reaction to the ending was a collective meh. It wasn't anything special, it was just average and the audience had very little interest. This is partially due to the fact that AMC was producing several spin-off shows tied to the series at that time. The network really wanted to capitalize on the popularity of the original series and build a universe around The Walking Dead. But Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead World Beyond, and Tales of the Walking Dead never really reached the same level of popularity as the original series and just spread out the interest amongst the fan base. I mean, I only watched the first season of Fear of the Walking Dead and I lost interest. And time will only tell whether or not the new spinoffs, The Walking Dead, Dead City, the Daryl Dixon series, and the Rick and Michonne series will have any substantial popularity at all. But we will get to all of that later. Now we are going to go through all 11 seasons and 177 episodes to highlight the high points and the low points of one of the most popular TV shows of all time. Cover yourselves in Walker Guts and let's get to season one. What I'm about to say I don't think is very controversial, but the first season is the best season. But it is shocking considering the fact that the story is not particularly complex. The first episode of the series is one of the greatest pilot episodes that I have ever seen for a TV show. 
The opening of Rick walking along the highway and shooting a little walker girl in the face will always be iconic. The episode follows him as he goes from waking up from a coma, meeting Morgan, learning about the state of the world, and then going back into Atlanta to look for his family. The final scene of the episode where Glenn calls out to Rick on the radio is always cool to rewatch. After the pilot episode, Rick is perfectly set up as the protagonist of our series, and most of the events of the season are told through his point of view. Rick gets shot, Rick wakes up in the zombie apocalypse, Rick meets Morgan, Rick meets Glenn, Rick finds Shane and his family, and then the series goes on from there. The best dynamic in the season is definitely between Rick and Shane. We can feel their brotherly bond throughout the season, but we also feel the underlying tension between them because of Shane's affair with Lori. The series tries its best to explain things from Shane's point of view, but I cannot get behind this guy sleeping with his best friend's wife. I know that Shane thought that Rick was dead, but he and Lori only waited like a month until they started hooking up which is not cool, bro. Multiple times throughout the show, Andrew Lincoln shows the audience just how great of an actor he is. The entire first season is basically a masterclass on how to demonstrate emotions. The scene where Rick is reunited with Lori and Carl is very powerful because of the raw emotion that he displays. Bravo, Andrew. Bravo. But the scene does have a bittersweet feeling because both Shane and Lori realize that they definitely screwed up by having an affair with each other. Lincoln by far gives the best performance as Rick, but the supporting cast definitely holds their own. We're introduced to a lot of major characters this season, and they are so different from how they would eventually end up. In this season, we meet long-running characters like Daryl, Carol, Carl, and Glenn, and let's just say that they are very innocent in this season compared to what is down the road. Fun fact that is well known amongst the fan base, Daryl was never supposed to be a character in the story, but Norman Reedus' audition for Merle went so well that they created Daryl's character specifically for him. That is so cool to think about when you realize how his character would eventually end up. If I were to pick out something that I did not like from this season, I would probably say that Rick's encounter with the Vados gang is probably the weakest part of the season. Their only purpose in the series is to add conflict when Rick and the group go back into Atlanta. Rick and the group go back into the city to rescue Merle and retrieve Rick's bag of guns, but when they arrive, Merle is gone, and the Vados gang prevent the group from leaving in one piece. I feel like this was only added to the show to pad out the runtime and to delay the group from retreating back to camp. Though I will say, the Vados gang did inadvertently cause the death of Carol's abusive husband, so I will definitely give them points for that. Once the group decides to go back to the CDC, it was pretty interesting to see how walker bites affect living people when we see that Jim is bitten. Jim reveals that he was bitten and then he slowly deteriorates as the group travels on the road. Once he feels that he can't go on any further, he convinces the group to leave him behind so they can go on without him. We never see Jim again after this, so it's safe to assume that he either killed himself or he turned into a walker and was killed in that state. But we do hear his voice in Season 3. We'll talk about that later. I obviously can't talk about the end of Season 1 without talking about the explosive season finale. When Rick and the group arrive at the CDC, we initially think that the series will become a tale about our survivors beating the disease that started the apocalypse, but it is quickly revealed to us that this will not be the case. Dr. Jenner immediately tells our characters that there is no hope of curing the disease, and that a quick death is the easiest way out. I gotta say that Noah Emmerich does a great job of playing Jenner. He is literally only in the show for a little over one episode, and he has some of the best character development in the entire series. I mean, we get to see him mourn the death of his wife and then try to combat the disease, but he inevitably fails. And then he decides that death is the only way out. I mean, it's amazing. What else can I say? When the group finally escapes, Rick says, we're grateful. And Dr. Jenner's final words are, the day will come when you won't be. 
Remember this line for later. From this point forward, the show will not be about our characters reversing the apocalypse or some miracle cure that will save everyone. The apocalypse has already come and now they have to live with it. The first season only has six episodes, making it the shortest season in the show, and the plot flows very naturally all throughout. And this is one of the things that is very strong throughout the season. But the same cannot be said for the next season. On that note, let's move on to what many people call the farm season, season two. Before we get into season two, I want to talk about some interesting behind the scenes stuff that took place before this season. In the pilot episode, after Rick climbs in the tank, he shoots a soldier that is turned into a walker that was also in the tank. This soldier is played by Sam Witwer, who has a pretty recognizable face among Star Wars fans. Witwer's soldier character was supposed to get an extended flashback sequence at the beginning of Season 2 that detailed how Andrea, Glenn, T-Dog, and Dale all got together. The soldier was supposed to end up dying in the tank in Atlanta, and the sequence would end with Rick entering the tank. This would have been a really cool way to start off the second season by showing a little bit more of how the outbreak started, and it would have fleshed out the world a lot more. However, after season two faced budget cuts and Frank Darabont was fired, AMC ended up scrapping this idea. This doesn't have a huge impact on the official series, but it is cool to think about what could have been in retrospect. Now, let's move on to the second season. The second season of The Walking Dead is definitely a step down from season one. Rick and the gang leave the city and they stumble upon Herschel's farm after Carl gets shot by a man named Otis. Along the way they lose Sophia and they spend literally half the season looking for her. Otis and Shane go to a nearby school to go grab supplies and after they are cornered by walkers, Shane decides to shoot Otis and sacrifice him so that he can escape with the supplies that will save Carl. This is the first really malicious act that Shane does and Immediately after this, he shaves his head, so we can physically see that there's a change in his character as well as an emotional change. The infamous barn full of walkers scene is still iconic to this day, and the fact that the group was spending half of the season looking for Sophia only for her to turn into a walker was so heartbreaking. And Rick stepping up to put Sophia down is so cold-blooded yet so devastating to watch. This moment is also crucial in shaping the cold-hearted character that Carol would eventually turn into. Now, I can't talk about season two without mentioning the introduction of the Glenn and Maggie romance. For those of you who are unaware, Glenn was in season one, but he was a pretty shy kid, mainly a background character. And when we get to Herschel's farm in season two, we are introduced to Herschel and his two daughters, Maggie and Beth. Now, Maggie really brings out a different side in Glenn, and they have a great relationship together. Their chemistry is the best in the show, and it led to them being one of my favorite TV couples ever. Stephen Yoon and Lauren Cohen, you guys did a great job, and I love both of you. Now, I'm going to be real with you guys. Lori was pretty annoying this season. For starters, she doesn't do a good job at parenting Carl. Half the time, she forces Carol to watch over him while she goes around camp telling people what to do. She gives off major married-to-the-king vibes since she is the wife of Rick Grimes. She almost causes Maggie and Glenn to die when they go scavenging for her requested abortion pills in the city. And to make matters worse, she didn't even use them. She just threw them away. When Rick, Glenn, and Herschel go into town, she stupidly follows them and wrecks her car because she can't focus on the road. And the worst thing of all is that she constantly played Rick and Shane against one another. First she says that Shane is too dangerous. Then she says that Rick is too weak to lead. 
and then she gets mad at Rick for killing Shane when she is the one that told him to do that. I'm sorry, but this was not a good season for Lori. The bar scene with Rick, Glenn, and Herschel is still one of the most memorable moments in the show. The tension builds gradually until you realize that someone has to die in order for our heroes to make it out alive. And this is also the first time that Rick straight up murders someone in cold blood, but rest assured it will not be the last. Dale's death scene was well done. He served as the group's moral compass for seasons 1 and 2, and his death sparked a major turning point for our characters going forward. In a meta sense, this death is even sadder because Dale had a really big role in the comics, and was supposed to have a big role in the show as well, but Jeffrey DeMunn asked that his character be killed off after his friend, Frank Darabont, was fired as the showrunner for this season. He was the only one who was really pleading for the group to spare Randall's life so that they could retain their humanity. Once he's killed by a walker, Rick decides to honor Dale's memory by sparing Randall's life, but Shane obviously had other plans. Speaking of which, the standout performance this season is definitely John Bernthal as Shane Walsh. This is Shane's season, and Bernthal played the character so well that a large portion of the fans wish he would have had a longer tenure on the show. His best scene is definitely the scene in the field where he's arguing with Rick in the episode Better Angels. Him and Rick could have been an unstoppable duo, but they just couldn't see eye to eye because Shane had a season 5 mentality right from the beginning of the apocalypse. He was a man that would do anything it took to survive, but he was killed because he loved a woman that he couldn't have. Though I do really like John Bernthal's interpretation of Shane's death scene. John says that Shane knew he would have to be killed to push Rick into being a better leader for the group. Shane just wanted Rick to prove that he had what it took to protect his family, and Rick did just that. And when you rewatch the scene with this mindset, it almost feels like Shane is egging Rick on and eventually forces him to kill him. This theory is basically confirmed in the season 9 episode, What Comes After. And from this point forward, Rick was no longer the good guy and he would eliminate anyone who stood in his way. My biggest complaint with season 2 is the season finale. The idea of Walker Hordes was introduced at the beginning of the season, and the season finale was supposed to be the big payoff, but it felt weird that the horde of walkers was just drawn to the farm only after Shane's gunshot. The scene with our characters shooting the walkers coming out of the barn was far louder than Shane's gunshot, but no hordes were drawn to the farm at that time. There's also the fact that Herschel's shotgun apparently has infinite ammunition, which seems like a mistake in the editing department, but it's still there. But I do have to give credit to the fact that the season finale introduced us to the character of Michonne, who would eventually have a major role in the series. Now, season two is not a bad season. Its main issue is the pacing. It just drags on because of the fact that the season was 13 episodes instead of 6 episodes like in season 1. There's a lot of scenes where nothing is really happening and our characters are just talking about something that doesn't pertain to the overall plot. For example, the whole plotline with Andrea and Shane hooking up was super weird and it came out of nowhere. I mean, they were talking about going off and, you know, starting their own camp and everything, but that never happened. There was also that brief time period where Carl decided to act like a little brat to everyone. That was really weird. I mean, there was that scene where he was telling off Carol after Carol just said that Sophia is going to be in heaven and everything. And Carl just said, you're an idiot. Shut up. And Carol cries. Like, that was so sad. Why'd you do that, Carl? But overall, season two wasn't bad. Could have been better. Now let's keep this moving to season three. I think most people would agree when I say that season three is one of the best seasons in the show. It's the first season that we have a major human antagonist, and there is a lot of action. The governor is such a compelling villain because of how two-faced he really is. He presents himself as this confident man who has all the answers, but on the inside, he is an insecure dude who is struggling to hold it all together. 
Whenever he comes across someone that may threaten his power, he immediately takes actions to get rid of that threat. The governor was once a family man before the apocalypse, and he struggles to accept the fact that his family is now gone. We can see that this is the case because he still keeps his undead daughter locked away in his home, hoping that one day Dr. Milton can find a cure to this disease. The inclusion of Merle as the governor's right hand was a nice touch. It was cool to see him straddle the line between villainous henchmen and ally to our heroes, and Michael Rooker's performance is great as always. But speaking of Merle, this season really made me love Daryl as a character. He begins the show as this angry redneck who doesn't even really like the group, but in this season, he becomes a close companion of Rick and really shows that he cares for everyone within the group. We also get glimpses of his dark past with Merle and their abusive father, and watching Daryl's reaction to Merle's death is heartbreaking every time. I also enjoyed the fact that the group was set on making the prison their home instead of just hopping from place to place like they had been in the past year. Even in this cruel world, they knew that they needed a place to settle down, and the prison became their home for a long period of time. When they were clearing out the prison in the earlier episodes, the tension was so high because we genuinely didn't know if any of them would be safe. Rick's encounter with the prisoners was just another example of him growing more and more cold-blooded as the season went along. He saw the prisoners were a threat to the well-being of the group, so he immediately killed them and removed that threat. Though. Rick's cruelty towards them is what eventually led to many deaths in the group. He could have killed that one prisoner right on the spot, but he let him go. He let him run away and cause havoc in the prison, which eventually leads to the death of Lori Grimes. Probably the most impactful scene in the season is Lori's death, her giving birth to Judas, Carl putting her down, and Rick's reaction to all of it. This scene was so devastating and Andrew Lincoln flexes acting skills once again. The fact that Lori's death literally made Rick go insane is incredibly impactful on his character in the future. Even though this scene has been memed to death, it is still emotional when I watch it. Rick's insanity was one of my favorite plot lines from this season, and after he realizes that Lori is dead, he immediately runs back into the prison and goes on a walker killing spree. After that, he starts talking to a telephone with the voices of dead people on the other side. One of the voices he hears is Jim. That's why I told you to remember that from earlier. Then he begins to see visions of Shane and Lori, and it isn't until he meets Morgan again that he finally decides to snap out of it for good. I absolutely love Morgan's episode in this season. We can clearly see that Morgan is a much different person than we first saw him in season one. He has lost absolutely everything, and he comes to the conclusion that he must clear everything in this world, living or dead. Lenny James gives a phenomenal performance in this episode, this is a huge moment for Rick because he is recovering from his insanity and the encounter makes him realize that he needs to snap out of it and be there for his family. And this moment is super important for Morgan because it helps him go on a long journey of self-discovery. But we will get to that later. In general, I loved the finale of the season. We were expecting a grand final battle at the prison, but our heroes were able to avoid any serious fight because they outsmarted the villain. I mean, the governor's forces burst through the entryway and they started shooting down the prison and everything started blowing up stuff and the prison was just silent for a little bit but then our heroes pop out start shooting at them and force them to retreat and once the governor is forced to retreat he blames all of his soldiers for the loss and kills all of them in a fit of rage this scene was very tense and it was pretty well done but on top of all the action i think the ending of the season with rick's group taking the citizens of woodbury into the prison was a good heartfelt ending to cap off season three. However, my biggest problem with this season is Andrea. In general, I do not like her character this season. At the beginning of the season, most of her questionable actions were because she lacked knowledge on the governor. 
but after it is made abundantly clear that the governor is evil, Andrea continues to try and reason with him. The governor literally shoots an innocent man in the middle of Woodbury, and Andrea fails to see that he is insane. On top of all of that, her character arc was cut short because the writers killed her off in the final episode so they could shock the fans. In retrospect, it feels like such a waste, especially when you consider the fact that Andrea has a huge role in the comics. This season had 16 episodes, and the rest of the seasons have the same amount, except for seasons 10 and 11. Overall, it's a great season. I'm glad we got to see the introductions of Tyrese and Sasha. They play a big role later on. It sets up season four pretty well, so let's get to that right now. Season four was good for the most part. It's definitely a lot slower and mainly focuses on the internal struggle within the group. The first five episodes of the season are just about the group dealing with the day-to-day -day tasks of post-apocalyptic life. But the whole sickness plotline kind of comes and goes without any major lasting impact on our characters. No major character really dies and it just kind of goes without any fanfare. In fact, before I made this critique, I actually forgot that the storyline ever happened. The two flashback sequences with the governor were pretty good, and they really highlighted how big of an effect a charming personality can have on people. The governor literally walked into a group of complete strangers and said, yeah, I'm in charge now. He takes control over this group and convinces them to launch an attack on our heroes just out of spite. The battle at the prison was epic, and it was the final battle that we were expecting at the end of Season 3. The governor decapitating Herschel was very painful to watch, especially since Herschel had become a father figure to everyone in the group. But it was so satisfying to see the death of the governor at the hands of Michonne. Here's a side note on the battle. Daryl single-handedly takes down a tank with a grenade. It's not a huge plot point or anything, but it definitely solidified my belief that Daryl was the most hardcore character on the show. Once the group left the prison, I wasn't a huge fan of the fractured style of storytelling that the show adopted. I get the show wanted to convey that our characters were very isolated from each other, but they could have done this without spending entire episodes with three or four members of the group, and then coming back to them like three episodes later. However, there were some exceptions like episode 12, still. This episode focuses on the characters of Daryl and Beth, and while it may be controversial, I appreciated the fact that we got to spend time with two characters that don't get a lot of dialogue. I really like their relationship together, and it is heartbreaking to see Beth get kidnapped and Daryl hopelessly run after her. Here's another side note, Daryl talks about buying drugs from a dealer who closely resembles the description of Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. This is such a cool easter egg in the show because AMC owned both properties at the time. The standout performance of the season is probably going to go to Steven Yoon as Glenn. In a relatively short amount of screen time, we get to see him overcome a deadly sickness, take in a former enemy into his protection, meet a group of retired army soldiers escorting a scientist to the capital, and find his wife against all odds simply because he's a good dude. One could argue that he is the most pure heart out of anyone in the show, but keep that in mind for later events. The introduction of Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene was pretty cool, and it gave us a lot of hope that our heroes were going to beat the apocalypse in the end, even though this hope would be stripped away from us in the next season. This is kind of a complaint about season 5 as well, but saying that Eugene can stop the apocalypse, and then pulling the rug out from underneath us and saying that he lied is heart-shattering and not in a good way. This made everyone hate Eugene 
for like the first three seasons that he was on the show, and it took a long time to gain that trust back. The worst part of this season is definitely the whole Lizzie storyline. The whole concept of a young child becoming insane in the apocalypse sounds like a good idea on paper, but it just came off as annoying in the final product. I'm pretty sure that the whole look at the flowers concept is supposed to be a reference to Of Mice and Men, but I still don't like it and Lizzie is my least favorite character in the entire show. The only outcome of this storyline is that Carol loses another kid and becomes a more hardened survivor. Literally, that's it. The season finale for this season is definitely one of the best in the series. For starters, Rick goes absolutely crazy for a minute and bites a guy's throat out after he threatens to kill Daryl and, um, do bad things to Carl and Michonne. Especially after considering the fact that Rick was a somewhat peaceful person at the beginning of the season, this moment shocked me to my core and is also extremely satisfying. I don't know, I can't explain it. This is the beginning of a dark path that Rick goes down for the rest of the show, and we're gonna see that very, very soon. When the entire group reunites at Terminus, we can tell that something is up, and it's not long until our characters figure it out as well. Once they all get locked in the train car, we are all expecting them to be crapping their pants, but Rick calmly looks at the group and says the line, they're gonna feel pretty stupid when they find out they're screwing with the wrong people. When I first watched this scene, it seemed a little clunky to me. It seemed like he was holding something back. And when I did my research about it, this was supposed to be the first moment where the show would drop its first F-bomb, but AMC backed out at the last second and they went with a censored version instead. This moment just reinforced the fact that Rick was the baddest man alive and had ice in his veins. But season four ends off in a cliffhanger that we don't know what the fate of the group is gonna be like, and it leads pretty good into season five. Now let's get into one of the most action-packed seasons of the show, Season 5. Season 5 is an absolute roller coaster. It begins with bombastic action, but gradually slows down to give us the more personal moments within the group. The season premiere has huge explosions, lots of gunfire, revenge kills, and a heartwarming reunion for our characters. Carol starts by blowing up Terminus, and this allows all of our heroes to escape with their lives. This was an amazing way to open the season, and it was so epic watching Carol lead a horde of walkers right through the gates of Terminus. It was nice to see that the cannibals of Terminus finally got what was coming to them after they crossed paths with our heroes. And less than two episodes later, our heroes have the villains of Terminus at their mercy, and they decide to murder all of them in Gabriel's church. The symbolism here is plain to see. Almost all of our characters have lost all of their innocence and will do whatever it takes to survive. This concept is solidified when Gabriel says, This is God's house, and Maggie replies, It's just four walls and a roof. The inclusion of Gabriel's character is a good juxtaposition to the group's current ideology. Being a man of God, Gabriel is horrified by the actions that our quote-unquote heroes take. Throughout the rest of the show, he has his own arc of adapting to the world around him while still being true to his beliefs. I really like the end of the season when he finally forgives himself of his past sins and begins to pray with Sasha and Maggie. It really sends a good message and serves as a great starting point for redemption in the series. The weakest part of the season is definitely the whole Beth plotline in the hospital in Atlanta. Speaking in broad terms, this plotline does not have much significance on the story as a whole. The only thing that this plotline accomplishes is introducing Noah into the group and Maggie getting sad over Beth dying. Beth being killed by a corrupt cop is surprising, but not in a good way. And even when looking back on the series as a whole, Dawn still serves as one of the worst villains in the series. 
We never really know what her motivations or goals are other than just maintaining control of the hospital. And Beth dying comes out of nowhere because she and Don almost appear to have an understanding between them right before this event happens. Though, I will say, seeing the reactions of Daryl and Maggie shatters my heart every time I watch it. But speaking of character deaths, this season has four major character deaths, which is kind of a lot. Bob dies after being bitten by a walker, Beth is shot and killed by Officer Don, Tyrese dies after bleeding out, and Noah dies after being torn apart by the undead. Normally this wouldn't be a huge problem, but the show kills off all of these characters one after the other, and they expect us to be devastated by every single one. At some point, I just grew numb to seeing all of our characters die, and I didn't have much of a reaction to it. The death that had the biggest impact on me was Bob's, which is ironic because he had the least amount of screen time out of all the characters who died. Bob was just an optimistic guy that ended up in a bad situation, and his relationship with Sasha and friendship with Tyrese was a nice bit of levity to the season. Rest in peace, Bob. After the death of Tyrese, the group is at an all-time low, and they spend a significant amount of time just wandering from place to place like they did in the earlier seasons. From their point of view, it's basically impossible for them to ever trust someone again because they almost died at a place that was supposed to be a sanctuary. I have to mention the scene where Rick gives the iconic line, We tell ourselves that we are the walking dead. Rick is convinced that there is no hope for a better life out there in the world, and they are just living on borrowed time. This is really depressing when you think about it. But when Aaron finally arrives and takes the group into Alexandria, we don't feel happy for our heroes because we don't trust that the community is safe for them. I just want to get this out of the way right now. Aaron is one of my favorite characters and remains a major beacon of hope in the series until the very end. We love you, Aaron. The group arriving at Alexandria and interacting with all the people who still live in a domesticated lifestyle was definitely a good point of tension in the season. The show does a good job of displaying how peaceful of a society Alexandria was before the group arrives. Once the group begins leading the community, we can see the citizens of Alexandria lose their innocence in the same way that our characters did in the earlier seasons. As soon as they arrive, everyone is on edge because they believe that this place is too good to be true. I mean, honestly, can you blame them? For me personally, it honestly felt like Rick and Carol kept trying to look for problems within the community so that they could take control. I mean, Rick discovers that Pete is beating Jesse and he intervenes because he wants all of the smoke. Let me just say that Pete is arguably the worst character in the show. He is so detestable and he never admits that he is wrong up until the very end. He's not quite on the same level of annoyance as Lizzie, but he's just such a terrible human being. Rick's long speech about survival in the last episode was awesome, and ending the season with him killing Pete and coming face to face with Morgan again was an awesome cliffhanger ending. The re-inclusion of Morgan was a very nice addition to the overall plot of the season. Seeing these little vignettes of Morgan sprinkled throughout season 5 leading up to the final episode got me very excited to see what would happen next. If you remember, Morgan was an insane man the last time we saw him, but he seems to be doing better now. His first encounter with the Wolves was pretty good and was an interesting way of introducing his new ideology of pacifism. This also made me excited to see what Rick and Morgan's dynamic would look like in Season 6. On that note, let's move on to what many claim to be the beginning of the end for the series, Season 6. Overall, Season 6 is a pretty average season. The season begins with the group trying to lead an enormous horde of walkers away from Alexandria, and obviously the plan goes wrong and all of our heroes get separated. 
I really hate when our characters are separated in this middle chunk of the season, because it leads to more episodes where we spend the entire runtime with a small group of characters, and we don't touch base with anyone else. I'm going to list all of the episodes in the series where this method actually works. Season 4, Episode 12, Still. Season 6, Episode 4, He's Not Here, which we will talk about later. And Season 10, Episode 22, titled, Here's Negan. These are the only good episodes in the series with this method, and everything else is just hot garbage. This fractured style of storytelling is a staple of Scott Gimple, and it doesn't go away until the end of Season 8. The wolves weren't that intimidating of villains, and they were pretty much all dealt with within two episodes. I mean, they were teased at the end of Season 5 as this huge threat that the heroes would have to overcome, and they ended up having a very small impact on the plot as a whole. The only major effect that they had on the story is that Owen saved Denise from being killed, and he influenced the future character choices of Morgan and Carol. But aside from that, the wolves were pretty forgettable and could be accurately described as a watered-down version of the Whisperers. They have similar ideologies, but the wolves are far less effective in the grand scheme of things. That being said, the flashback on how Morgan came back from insanity was really cool. Seeing how Eastman taught him the ways of Aikido and how to care about others again was very touching. In fact, as a standalone episode, it is one of the best in the series for me. That being said, I was really frustrated on how Eastman died. You would think that at this point in the apocalypse that everyone who was still alive would know how to deal with one singular walker, but no. The master of Aikido gets bitten by a walker because Morgan was daydreaming. This is actually a common trend throughout the entire series. We see these extremely experienced survivors act like total idiots when it comes to dealing with one or two walkers. This is so absurd when the group constantly deals with large hordes of walkers like every two weeks. Speaking of which, the No Way Out plotline was cool, but I think they could have dragged it out for a little bit longer. There was a lot of build-up to the walkers breaking through the walls of Alexandria, and they eventually do in the mid-season finale, but they are killed and disposed of by the time the mid-season premiere ends. That being said, I really love the scene where Rick inspires the people of Alexandria to fight against the giant horde of walkers in the community. The music and the camera work made the scene feel really epic. That scene also sparks a hope inside of Rick that he can make Alexandria a home for his family, which was touching. I'm glad that we got to see more of the larger world of The Walking Dead with the other communities coming into play. The introduction of Jesus and the foreshadowing to the kingdom was pretty cool, but I really think the show could have done a better job at making the hilltop seem more grand in scale. The group is desperate to ally with them because they are short on supplies, but when Rick and the others arrive, the community looks small both in terms of size and in population. It makes you question why Alexandria would be so eager to partner with them in the first place. There was a lot of build-up to the arrival of Negan this season, and I think the show pulled it off pretty well. To begin with, our characters straight up murdered a bunch of people they have no connection with, just because it serves their best interest. I know that Daryl, Abraham, and Sasha were almost killed by a small group of saviors, but that moment seems so small in comparison to the massive amount of damage that our heroes perform. The scene of them storming the savior compound is very disturbing to watch because they are literally killing people while they are sleeping. Glenn has a hard time performing this task because he has too pure of a soul. Speaking of which, the worst part of the season is the whole Glenn fake-out death. In this world, being in a vulnerable position while being surrounded by walkers is a death sentence. Period. But Glenn was dogpiled by walkers and somehow he made it out alive and unscathed because of a magical dumpster. I know I probably shouldn't criticize the realism of a show about zombies, but this just seems absurd. 
It's just another example of the show using shock value to bring in more viewers. Pretending to kill Glenn and then bringing him back serves no narrative purpose other than further solidifying that the walkers are dangerous, which we already knew. And in the end, bringing Glenn back was pointless in the long run, but more on that later. The final episode of the season is very divisive. Personally, I really enjoyed it because it was so suspenseful throughout the entire runtime. Our characters are continuously blocked at every turn until they eventually realize that they are slowly being surrounded. This episode was almost like a snake being wrapped around your neck and slowly choking the life out of you. When Negan finally appears, our hearts drop because there is truly no way out for our characters and someone is gonna die. Now, I have to give a special mention to Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan for absolutely stealing the show and is only seen in the final episode. At the end of the episode, Morgan delivers an 11-minute monologue, and it is so tense all throughout. His monologue is extremely gripping and very devastating for our heroes. Side note, in the original cut of Negan's monologue, Jeffrey Dean Morgan dropped 23 F-bombs, but AMC was not okay with that, and they went with a censored version for the final cut. But the uncensored version of the speech is online for all of us to enjoy. So, if someone comes to your door, you fucking let us in. We own that fucking door. You try to fucking stop us, we will fucking knock that fucker down. However, this will not be the last time that Mr. Morgan's performance captivates our screens. Eventually, Negan chooses someone that he is going to kill, but we do not see who it is. Negan brings his bat down, and the camera cuts to black. The cliffhanger ending to the season is very controversial amongst the fan base. Personally, I didn't mind it because I was watching the whole show on Netflix, and I could just move on to the next season. But I can understand why a lot of people would feel betrayed having spent months following this show, only to be left with a to-be-continued at the end. We were already dreading the fact that someone was going to die, but the show decided to drag it out longer than it needed to be, and people were ticked. Though, I will give the ending some credit, it massively boosted hype for the show and made sure that everyone was going to be watching at the beginning of Season 7. For me, Season 7 is probably the worst out of all of them so far. The premiere of the season is amazing, but also terrible at the same time. I don't know. Does that make sense? First, Negan kills Abraham. Tragic, but we already knew that someone was going to die, so at least it's over. Abraham was a good character, but his arc was always meant to be him sacrificing himself for his new family. It was acceptable, but then Daryl punches Negan, and then he decides that he has to kill someone else too. And Negan's bat unexpectedly lands on Glenn's head. Remember how I said back in Season 6 that Glenn's fake-out death was pointless? This is what I was talking about. Glenn did not deserve to die. In fact, out of everyone in that lineup, he probably deserved to die the least. I know that it's important to always keep surprising your audience, but killing off two fan-favorite characters in the first episode of a season seems so wrong. I'm sorry to all the Daryl fans out there, but this one is definitely his fault. I still love the guy, but it's on him. However, I do have to point out that this episode represents our characters at their lowest point, and the fact that the title is, The Day Will Come When You Won't Be, Jenner's last words to Rick, even further pushes that point. This episode was great, but it is unfortunately the only great episode of the season. And the fan base recognized this too, because when this episode first came out, the viewership plummeted for the rest of the season. 
When we get into the middle chunk of the season, the show devolves back into these fractured storylines instead of telling the show in a more streamlined manner. We spend an entire episode of the kingdom, then at the sanctuary, then at the hilltop, then with Rick's group, and it just keeps going. This format of storytelling made all the plot lines feel disconnected and it was hard to follow in a chronological sense. You would be following a character for an entire episode and be really invested in their storyline, and then you wouldn't see them for two or three episodes after that. It's so dumb. I really like the introduction to the kingdom and King Ezekiel. Ezekiel is an interesting character because he is someone who is putting on an act, but in a good way. He's presenting himself as this pure and kind ruler for his people, and I love the fact that he's actually trying to reach those standards that he's set for himself. He knows that his people need someone to look up to, and he is trying his best to be that figure. And this actually works because his facade is not meant to mislead his people, it's to inspire them. I love Ezekiel so much. Jeffrey Dean Morgan absolutely hams it up this season as an over-the-top villain terrorizing our heroes. There are so many quotable scenes of Negan from this season, and I have trouble picking out my favorite one. But I do have to give special mention to Negan fat-shaming Olivia and Alexandria. Comedy gold. Negan is a really interesting villain because he downplays all the dangers and the threats of the apocalypse that our characters are terrified of simply because he is so detached from the current world that he lives in. He acts larger than life because he is. There is nothing that anyone can do or say to hurt him, and he knows it. And if we thought the governor was a charming leader, Negan has ten times the charisma that the governor ever had. Many people have said that Negan feels like a one-note villain in the earlier seasons, but don't worry. His character will get more fleshed out in the future. I have to say, I was not a huge fan of Eugene this season. Seasons 4 through 8 are really rough for Eugene because he spends most of his time acting like a giant baby. He is completely useless when it comes to dealing with walkers, and the only thing that he brings to the group is his above-average intelligence. And I'm just going to get this out of the way, Eugene has never had a good hairstyle throughout the entire show. Seriously, dude, you gotta get a better barber. In this season, Eugene reveals to Negan that he knows how to manufacture bullets, and Negan takes him into the sanctuary as a prisoner. At the end of the season, Eugene eventually pledges his loyalty to Negan. It's revealed to us in Season 8 that this was all an act, but it feels like the writers thought that Eugene was becoming too hated, and they needed to do something big to bring him back to the good side. The betrayal of the Junkyard people was not very surprising, because I honestly have no idea why Rick would trust them in the first place. The group literally stumbles upon this weird group of people living in a junkyard, and they think, yeah, they seem trustworthy. They give the Junkyard people so much responsibility in the final battle, that I wasn't surprised at all that it blew up in their faces. And the worst part is that the group puts their trust in Jadis two more times after this, and it really only works out once. The main reason that I hate these twists is because the Junkyard people are just so annoying. They speak in this weird, broken English, and none of them have any sliver of personality. I hate whenever they are on screen. The final battle of this season was pretty cool, and it felt nice to see all of our heroes united against one common enemy. And seeing the armies of the Kingdom and the Hilltop arriving at Alexandria to save the day was pretty cool to watch. I love Ezekiel's triumphant line when the battle begins, Alexandria will not fall! Not on this day! It's so cheesy and beautiful, and I love it. Sasha's death was okay. I didn't really like her character that much, so I wasn't too torn up about it. I mean, her best relationships were with Bob, Tyrese, and Abraham, and they all died a while ago. The writers were probably leaning into the fact that she doesn't have a strong relationship with anyone by making her sacrifice herself all alone at the end. One thing that I will say about this season is that the cast is basically doubled in size. It felt kind of jarring having to keep up with like 40 different characters across multiple locations, 
when the show started out with only like a dozen characters in total. In Season 5, all of the characters we cared about were in Alexandria. Now we have to care about characters in Alexandria, the Hilltop, the Kingdom, and the Sanctuary. The show isn't very good at balancing the screen time of all these characters, and a lot of them end up doing nothing in the background, while Rick and the A-Team do all the important stuff. But I shouldn't complain too much, the cast is only going to get bigger, and the plot lines are only going to get dumber in Season 8 and beyond. Rest in peace to Glenn and Abe, but at least they didn't have to see how bad this series would get from this point onward. Grab your 44 Magnum and your Barbara Baseball back, because we're going to war. You can tell the writers of the show were going for this large-scale war that has fought on multiple fronts, but we never got any unique battle sequences that would give us that feeling. It felt like our heroes were just hopping from one place to another, mowing down expendable soldiers that seemed endless in quantity. At no point did we have an accurate idea on how many soldiers or weapons each of the communities had, and action scenes felt like they were just included just for the sake of having action scenes. This season continued the trend of having fractured storylines, but it makes even less sense to utilize this method in this season because all of our heroes are supposed to be fighting alongside one another against Negan. If all of the communities remained united as they took down all of the savior outposts, the war would have been over within a couple of days. But instead, our heroes decide that their best course of action is to divide up all their forces. There's literally no reason for our heroes to have this battle strategy. The writers forced our heroes to have this strategy because they wanted a series of nail-biting battles across multiple locations. And in the end, these battles weren't even that entertaining because it was essentially just 45 minutes of non-stop bullets flying. In the first episode, we saw all of our heroes launch a counterattack on the Sanctuary, which was actually pretty exciting and it got me excited for what was ahead in the season. But for the next 15 episodes, they are just packed full of non-stop, meaningless action. There are some points where the story slows down and gives our characters a chance to reflect, but these moments are few and far between, and they're not that impactful. However, I will say that the death of Shiva is one of the most heartbreaking moments in the show. I never would have thought that one of the saddest deaths in The Walking Dead would be a CGI tiger, but here we are. One quick thing that I want to point out is the regression of Daryl's character. Daryl is one of the most popular characters in the show, and ever since the beginning of Season 7, he has barely had any dialogue. Throughout all of Seasons 7 and 8, he mainly speaks in a series of grunts. Let me just say, it's okay for one of your characters to be stoic and have limited dialogue, but this should really be reserved for supporting characters and not a character who is eventually going to lead your series. But more on that later. Morgan has a pretty good arc this season. He takes on Henry as his new apprentice, and we get to see him struggle with the burden of mentoring a young child. He's continuing to struggle with the light side and the dark side, and eventually he decides that he needs to isolate himself in order to achieve inner peace. However, I am not a huge fan that Morgan immediately joins the cast of Fear the Walking Dead after he leaves. Dwight and Sherry also leave to join Fear the Walking Dead as well. But as stated before, I only watched the first season of the and based on all the reviews that I've seen, I have no intention to finish it. However, I do enjoy one of his last scenes with Rick where they're talking about whether or not they should spare the saviors. Morgan helps to lead Rick back towards the side of good, but the major moment that changes Rick is the death of Carl. Yeah, let's talk about Carl. The worst part of the season is arguably the worst part of the entire show. The death of Carl Grimes. Carl represented the bright future that all of our heroes were fighting for. You can really tell that the writers knew their all-out war storyline was pretty boring, 
so they just shoved Carl's death into the story so that the viewers would care more. I know that in later seasons, the writers attempt to have Judith fill Carl's role in the story, but it's not the same for a couple of reasons. For one, we have spent time watching Carl grow up and interact with everyone in the story. Rick and Carl's relationship is one of the best in the show and almost all of Rick's actions are motivated by keeping him safe. In Season 3, Lori told Carl that he was going to beat this world, but that ended up being false and another great character was killed off to shock the fans. Speaking of Carl, the best performance in the season is probably Chandler Riggs as Carl Grimes. As stated before, we've seen this actor grow up and his character evolve over the seasons, and he does his best work in the final episodes. Carl's death was sad and unnecessary, but Chandler's performance makes Rick's complete heel turn from wrath to mercy seem slightly more believable. That reminds me, Rick makes a complete 180 this season from extremely villainous anti-hero back to officer friendly within the span of a couple episodes. In one episode, he kills a group of surrendered saviors in cold blood, and in the very next episode, he spares Negan's life. Now, I don't have a problem with him regaining his humanity, I think that's a good narrative choice but they should have built it up over a longer period of time. If the show wanted Rick to undergo a character arc of mercy, then they should have begun this arc at the beginning of the season, not at the halfway point. As it stands, it feels like the show knew that Rick was becoming too evil, and they just needed to do something to bring him back to hero status. But Rick spares Negan's life, and the war is over, and now we have to deal with the aftermath in Season 9. Overall, I thought Season 9 was actually a pretty good season. Considering that it came after the worst two seasons in the show, it could have been a lot worse. It was definitely a return to form season, and it felt a lot like The Walking Dead from the earlier seasons. Now, let's just get this out of the way. Season 9 was the last season with Andrew Lincoln as Rick Grimes. For those of you that don't know, Andrew Lincoln requested that his character to be killed off at the end of Season 8, so he could move back to England and spend more time with his family. However, AMC convinced Lincoln to stay on for five more episodes in Season 9. Rick is in the first five episodes of the season, then there's a six-year time jump, and the story takes off from there. The first five episodes were solid, and I liked the fact that our heroes were struggling to maintain peace between a group of communities who were just at war. The storyline of Maggie and Daryl plotting to kill Negan was okay, but I did enjoy that she spared his life because she realized that living in a cage is far worse punishment for him. And in the later seasons, Negan becomes one of my favorite aspects of the show, so I am glad he's sticking around. Also, I have to note that this is the first big moment where we see major character development for Negan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is great as always. And I have to bring up how amazing Rick's final episode is. The episode titled, What Comes After, is really great and serves as a beautiful send-off for Rick's character. It was amazing to see all of the cameos from the former cast members, and the message of Rick finding his family is extremely touching. I absolutely loved seeing John Bernthal make a cameo appearance as Shane. The dream sequence where he's talking to Rick was so cool to see. Rick is trying to convince himself that he is nothing like Shane, but Shane tells Rick that he needed to turn into a bit of a monster in order to survive. This is one of the many lessons that Rick took from Shane while he was alive. It was nice to see Herschel again, and his scene with Rick is very touching because of the father-son bond they had. It's also worth mentioning that this was Scott Wilson's last acting role before he passed away in 2018. Rest in peace, Scott. Seeing Sasha appear as the final person to talk to Rick was kind of odd. As stated before, I wasn't a huge fan of her character, and she never really had a strong relationship with Rick while she was alive, so it was weird for her to be the final person that Rick sees in his visions. 
It would make more sense if Lori or Carl or Glenn showed up, but we got Sasha instead. I will say that the helicopter people saving Rick's life at the last minute kind of feels like a deus ex machina, but it's not that egregious. And I will say that Andrew Lincoln's presence is sorely missed from here onward. The departure of Rick Grimes from the show was a major crossroads point for many viewers. Rick Grimes was the main character and probably the best character in the show for almost a decade, and after he left, the show tried its best to make Daryl fill his role, but it never quite worked out the same because of Daryl's limited dialogue and screen time. Farewell, Rick. We will see you again. Once the six-year time jump occurs, I did enjoy seeing how the communities tried to fill the gap in leadership left by Rick's disappearance. The Council at Alexandria was a nice touch, and I enjoyed seeing Aaron and Gabriel step into a larger leadership role in the community. But I find it hard to believe that the communities would become this estranged after six years. It is true that relationships fade over time, but in the zombie apocalypse where every human relationship is vital, this doesn't seem very realistic. Especially considering the fact that they had all fought and won a war together, this doesn't make any sense. However, seeing Ezekiel struggle to maintain the kingdom and eventually seeing it fall was very impactful and was a good moment for his character. It was nice to see his relentless optimism get tested. You can definitely tell that the writers are trying to fill the gap left by Carl with the inclusion of a now older Henry and Judith. But the problem with this is that we had spent so little time with him in the past, and our investment for the characters was very limited compared to Carl's. The show really tries to emphasize that these two kids are important to everyone, and it feels a little forced. I'm pretty sure that Henry only had like five lines of dialogue before this season took place, and now he's a full-on main character. That being said, the relationship between Judith and Negan is pretty good in this season, but I find it odd that it's barely ever addressed in seasons 10 and 11. The season finale happens, Judith and Negan have a nice moment together, and that is essentially the end of their friendship. It's weird. In this season, we are briefly introduced to a small gang of roaming survivors called the Highwaymen. They ride horses and they protect our heroes while they are traveling on the road. This plotline pretty much goes nowhere and all of them die before the season's over. I'm pretty sure they were only introduced to pad out the runtime. The introduction to the Whisperers was pretty cool and I found it interesting how they had given up on trying to survive as human beings and began to try to survive as members of the dead. And their inclusion in the story really put a bigger focus on how dangerous the walkers are. This was something that was severely lacking in season 7 and 8. At this point in the story, our heroes have dealt with so many walkers so many times that it feels normal to encounter a large horde of them. Jesus was one of the best fighters out of all of our heroes, and the Whisperers were able to take him down because they were able to catch him off guard. The Whisperers forced our characters to always have their guard up while dealing with walkers. This makes the walkers seem way more threatening, which is imperative to the show's success. Alpha is a very interesting villain because she presents herself as this cold and emotionless leader, but in reality, she still has feelings and she has a huge soft spot for her daughter, Lydia. She's a character that's gotten this far in the apocalypse because of her intelligence. She is not very physically imposing, but she's able to intimidate our heroes because she's able to develop strategies that work out in her favor. The border scene at the end of the season was alright. I know they were going for a really big moment that was going to shatter our hearts, but the viewers were never going to have that reaction because the characters that died were never that impactful to the story. Tara, Enid, and Henry were all just supporting characters, and the writer used them in the scene because they were expendable. Tara was kind of important, she was the leader of the hilltop after Jesus died, but other than that she didn't really have any significance. 
Enid was one of the doctors in the communities. I guess she was important. And Henry was the Carl substitute, so we have to care about him, right? They knew they needed some characters to die, and they were too afraid to kill off any major characters, so they just settled for a random assortment of supporting ones. We only spent so much time with Henry this season because the show wanted us to sympathize with him before his death. It seems kind of manipulative when you think about it. But now, the Whisperer War has officially begun and will be the main focus of Season 10. Hang in there, we are getting close to the end. Season 10 is a solid season. The whole arc of the Whisperer War was executed pretty well. There were a lot of cat and mouse plot points throughout the season and it was pretty entertaining. I enjoyed the fact that Carol released Negan so he could kill Alpha. That was a good twist. However, Alpha's death is not as good as I would have hoped. She came across as a very smart and calculating individual, but she was killed because she was tricked by a man she shouldn't even trust. I know that she was blinded by her love for Lydia, but she seems like the type of person who would be more skeptical when a guy like Negan takes her to a remote cabin where no one else can see them. But anyways, Carol got her revenge, and it was cool to see Negan drop Alpha's head at Carol's feet. I liked how the walkers were a much bigger threat this season because of the whisperers, and Beta is definitely one of my favorite characters from this season. Beta is a very interesting character because he was a man who had it all before the apocalypse. In a previous life, he was a rich and famous country singer, but in his new life, he is a soulless killer that dresses up like a walker. His arc is very interesting because it demonstrates just how far someone can fall when they lose everything. And it also sets up a pretty cool moment when, as Beta is dying, he is swarmed by walkers in the same way that he used to be swarmed by cheering fans. This moment was so cool and it is definitely one of my favorite moments from the season. The final battle was pretty cool. I really liked how our heroes used walker guts to even the fight against the whispers. I don't know what it is, but it is so satisfying when our characters deal with massive hordes of walkers in creative ways. It was nice to see Maggie return, but they never really did a good job of explaining why she left in the first place. She literally leaves unexpectedly in Season 9, and then she just comes back at the end of Season 10. And this is important because Maggie's time away from the group is a crucial plot point in Season 11. Now, I have to address that the 16th episode of this season was supposed to be the finale of Season 10. But after COVID hit and the production schedule was altered, AMC decided to produce 6 additional episodes that would come after Episode 16. These episodes, labeled the COVID episodes, are basically self-contained stories that have very little impact on the plot as a whole. Here's the essential stuff we learn in these episodes. Maggie and Georgie's community was destroyed by a group called the Reapers. Daryl fell in love with a woman named Leah during the six-year time jump. And Eugene's group gets imprisoned by the Commonwealth soldiers. That's it. That's all of the things that matter from here on out. But despite these episodes having very little relevance to the overall plot, there is one episode that stands out as exceptional. Episode 22, titled, Here's Negan. This episode also serves as the last episode in Season 10. This episode doesn't make a huge impact on the plot going forward, but it does make a large impact on what we have already seen in the series. The episode explores the backstory of Negan and how he became the charismatic and vicious man that he is. The episode perfectly details how sad Negan's life was pre-apocalypse, and how he was able to succeed during the apocalypse. In this episode, we see a much different side to Negan than we've ever seen before. His relationship with his wife Lucille feels so real and is really heartwarming. The fact that Lucille is played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan's real wife, Hilary Burton, only makes it better. Seeing Lucille take her own life after all that time we spent with her was so heartbreaking. And to top it all off, the song You Are So Beautiful by Joe Cocker playing in the background as Negan burns his house down 
is just great symbolism. Negan's beautiful life is now gone, and he has become something much worse. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's performance as Negan is terrific as always, and from this point forward, we begin to sympathize with him as a character. However, my biggest flaw with this season is that it is not the final season. This show is called The Walking Dead, and it feels like a really good idea for the final season's main villain to be closely associated with the Walkers. Imagine if the COVID episodes never happened, and our heroes defeated the Whisperers, destroying the massive horde of Walkers, and began to rebuild the communities for a bright and hopeful future. I honestly think it would have been better than creating a brand new villain for only the last season. Looking back on it, all of the foreshadowing to the Commonwealth was one of my major dislikes of this season. Judging this season alone, it really just felt like they just needed something for Eugene to do. But this is the hand that we've been dealt, so let's get this over with, and let's move on to the final season of The Walking Dead. Season 11 is a mixed bag for me. I wasn't super invested in the fight against the Reapers, and the storyline was wrapped up pretty much before the halfway point of the season. Pope had the potential to be a very interesting villain, but he was just another bad guy who is clearly insane. It felt weird that the show had to spend the first third of the season implying how unstoppable the Reapers were, only for them to be killed off unceremoniously. I mean, Carver clutched a 1v3 against Maggie, Elijah, and Negan, but he was killed off because he turned his back at the wrong moment. Leah also had the potential to flesh out Daryl's character a lot more, but the plotline ended up going nowhere. Leah and Daryl were once in love, and their relationship could have been a huge point of conflict for Daryl, but he never seemed to be struggling that much. There were a few times that he was forced with choosing between her or his group, but it never seemed like much of a choice. He always chose the group without any hesitation. And when Maggie kills all of the Reapers, it would have been interesting to see her and Daryl develop bad feelings towards one another, but we never got that. I mean, Leah dies, and then Daryl is just like, oh well, that's the way it goes. The Reapers were also a group of people that had a twisted view of Christianity, and it would have been nice to see them play off of Father Gabriel. But he only talks to one of them for about 30 seconds, and then he kills him. Wasted potential. The Commonwealth seemed like an engaging antagonist on the surface, but after further viewing, they appeared to be nothing more than just another shady community with corrupt leaders. Lance was a compelling villain, but his actions seemed random, despite the show reassuring us that he is always one step ahead. Towards the end of his character, it was odd to see him try to align himself with the heroes despite being a nuisance to them all season. In the end, he died in an anticlimactic way despite being a major source of pain for our heroes. Pamela was not very interesting to watch. It's implied all season that she's this evil mastermind, but when we get to the end, we can clearly see that she's just a coward. Surprisingly enough, I think the Commonwealth storyline could have really benefited if it was told over a longer period of time. We didn't get a lot of development for Pamela or Lance other than the fact that they are just corrupt government leaders. And I'm going to point out that Sebastian was such a tool and I have no idea why they spent so much time on him as a character. I get it. He's a selfish baby. Just kill him off and let's get on with the interesting stuff. This show has a history of spending a lot of time with really annoying characters. And Sebastian may not be the worst, but he is thankfully the last. I'm not going to lie, I was really happy when he died. I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. Mercer was a good ally to the group, and I'm really glad that the series subverted the expectations of him just being another evil henchman that Daryl would probably have to fight. His relationship with Princess is also a nice sprinkle of levity throughout the season. Remember how I said that I liked the Walkers were a really big villain in Season 10? Well, in the final battle of the series, the massive horde of Walkers threatening everyone's lives was destroyed in a montage 
With heavy metal music playing in the background, Daryl gives a rousing speech, says, We ain't the walking dead, a callback to when Rick said the opposite in season 5, and then our heroes blow up all the walkers without much effort. The ending felt extremely rushed, which is shocking considering the season had 24 episodes to tell their story. You would think that the show would spend more time building up to an ending that would be satisfying for all of our characters, but no. Saving the Commonwealth should not be the conclusion for the season because it doesn't serve as a satisfying ending for the entire show. Though, I do appreciate the fact that our heroes save and restore the Commonwealth instead of killing everyone like they normally do. This ties into a larger theme of mercy throughout the show. The finished arcs for the characters were acceptable for the most part. I really liked how they wrapped up the storylines of Negan, Ezekiel, Rosita, and Gabriel. However, they kind of forced Negan to go off and get married to some random woman because they wanted to put him in a vulnerable spot towards the end of the season. It wasn't very egregious, but it is something that I noticed. Rosita's death was sad, but it made me think about the fact that she was pretty much the only major character that died in this season. And I'm being generous by calling her a major character, because she has pretty much been sidelined from the main action ever since Season 8 ended. Seeing Maggie and Negan squash their beef was nice to see, but apparently the beef has become unsquashed in the Dead City series, so that's sad to think about. Like seriously Maggie, either forgive him, kill him, or just stop talking about it. It's getting annoying. Daryl venturing back into the world to find Rick was cool to see. But as I see him drive away, I am reminded of the fact that Michonne told him to watch over Judith and RJ while she was gone. Daryl, no offense, but you are the world's worst babysitter. And judging by the fact that Daryl's spinoff series is supposed to take place in France, I think it's safe to say that he's not going to find Rick anytime soon. Obviously, it was nice to see Rick and Michonne back in the series again, even if they were only there as cameo appearances. I still appreciated the fact that they were still included in the finale. Rick's final scene was pretty interesting, and it does get me a little excited to see what they will do in the Rick and Michonne spinoff. I didn't hate how they ended the series. It was really cool to see a montage of our favorite characters from past and present saying the phrase, We're the ones who live. But my biggest complaint about the ending is that it doesn't feel like an ending. It feels like the writers were just setting the stage for several of the stories to tell in the future. And when all the future spinoffs were announced, it was pretty clear that this was what the writers were doing. Instead of a definitive ending to an epic series that spans over a decade, we got a preview for several other smaller stories that will come after. The ending had the potential to be amazing, but we were presented with one that was merely acceptable. The Walking Dead is still one of my favorite television shows of all time. The series had many high points and low points, but I continued to watch it all the way through. But I think that by the time I was watching the final episodes, I felt that I had invested so much into the show that I was obligated to finish it. Looking back on it, the show really evolved into something completely different from beginning to end. The show began as a dramatic horror series about a small group of normal people surviving the zombie apocalypse. And then by the final season, it became a political thriller about a ragtag group of heroes trying to overthrow a corrupt government. This transition could have worked, but the series was never building up to a conclusion like that. Additionally, the show gradually gained a reputation of killing off fan-favorite characters to symbolize that no one is safe in this world, but these character deaths weren't always pulled off in the most convincing way. It felt like the writers of the show were just picking random spots for a random character to die without pulling off a significant character arc. The worst example of this is Glenn. I know I highlighted it before, but I want to talk about it again. 
Abraham needed to die because his character arc was all about sacrificing himself for the new family that he found. But Glenn was a different story. Glenn's whole character arc was about being a man who could beat this cruel world while still retaining his humanity. From the very beginning of the show, Glenn was seen as a beacon of hope. This is symbolized by Glenn saving Rick at the end of the very first episode. While the group became more sadistic in their methods of survival, Glenn remained true to himself and maintained hope for a better future. Glenn found love in Maggie and he was going to be a father, but he was killed by Negan for something that was not even his fault. Speaking of Negan, his character arc of redemption is actually an arc that I think the show pulled off pretty well. Negan began his tenure on the show as a one-note, over-the-top bad guy that our heroes had to kill. But as we spent more time with him, we were able to see things from his point of view more and more. After the episode Here's Negan in Season 10, we were able to see why he does the things that he does. And we were able to sympathize with him because of that. From his point of view, killing Abraham and Glenn was seen as justice because our heroes murdered many of his men while they were sleeping. From his perspective, our heroes could be considered the villains of this story. Especially when you look at how high of a body count our heroes have by the end of the series. Which leads me to my final point. The Walking Dead is all about losing your humanity and the long road to getting it back. Over the years, our heroes slowly move closer and closer to the line that separates good from evil. One could argue that they cross this line many times, but that's up to your interpretation. To quote one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite movies ever, Frank Costello from The Departed, he says, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. In the earlier seasons, it's safe to say that our characters initially became products of their environment. They began as innocent people wanting the world to go back to the way it was, and they transitioned into people who would do whatever it takes to survive. However, after Rick's disappearance in Season 9, our characters decided that they needed to build a better world than the one that they were living in. From that point onward, they ensured that their environment would become a product of them. And that's actually a good message for you guys to take with you from this episode. No matter how bad the circumstances are, no matter how bad the world gets around you, you have to remember to stay true to yourself and try to make the world a little better. I don't know if this is the theme that they were intending, but that's what I took away from it. And that's good enough for me. Thank you guys for watching this episode of The Incompetent Critic. I am so sorry for how long this was, but I was reviewing a show that had almost 200 episodes, so cut me a little slack. We will keep you guys up to date on what TV show or movie we are going to be talking about next. If you're not subscribed to the show, stop what you're doing right now and get it done. And while you're at it, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We love all the support we can get. Thank you guys. From everyone here at I'm No Genius, I'm Eli, and we will see you next time.